Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. Today, um, I'm excited to talk to uh, producer, guitarist, musician, and all around decent human, or Twitcher, and all around decent human, Billy Crab. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. How are you, Ben? I'm good. We're speaking to each other from the same country for the first time. For finally, yeah, finally <laughs> back in back in the fatherland. And uh, all right, so just to get to kick us off. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself? What do you do, and how long have you been doing it? Oh wow! Uh, so I'm a music producer, guitarist, mix engineer, mastering engineer. I like to think of myself as a modern day music music maker. Uh, so I do a bit of everything, and I've been doing it for since 2000. I've been doing it probably since 2015, so that's uh, however many years <laughs> that is. Six, uh, six, seven. Between, between six and a thousand. Yeah, um, six and. <laughs> and so, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm half half. So my my dad's English. He's from Liverpool, and my mum's from uh, from Greece, from a small town in northern Greece called Kavala. Um, but I've. Person, I've we, we've moved quite a few times, so I've grown up in Thessaloniki, which is another northern city in uh, in Greece, which is beautiful. And uh, but we've lived in the states as well. Uh, me and my siblings were born in Luxembourg, so we've we've kind of moved around a few times. In Luxembourg, yeah, huge country, huge. You know, I was gonna say you could you could walk across that in a day, couldn't you? Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Um, so before we get in the, um, the current situation, can you tell us a bit about what originally inspired you to start down this path? Yeah, I mean, um, I did. I, I remember doing music from a very young age. So when, when we lived in Luxembourg, I remember my parents taking me to like um, uh, piano lessons, or like keyboard lessons, maybe around the age of four or five. And it was fun. I, I you know, I wasn't, I, I don't think I'm one of those students that was like musically inclined in the beginning, at least, but it was fun. It was entertaining. I always enjoyed music. Music was always in the house. We, you know, our dad, uh, we listened to mostly English music, not that much Greek music, but, um, so I think in terms of getting into the guitar, I remember watching, like, I think it's the cliche story of watching Elvis Presley on te- television playing his acoustic guitar and saying, oh, I want to I want to do that. So they got me a, a nice little acoustic guitar when I was a kid, so I was banging around on that. But yeah, I think, I think it was just, uh, it kind of naturally happened. I think we always had music in the house and uh, did piano lessons from a young age. And uh, at some point when I was like eight or nine, I decided I wanted to do guitar lessons so started with classical wow so Elvis Elvis yeah it was on TV we were watching it was must have been some like documentary or something 
I don't remember. I was too young, but I remember watching Elvis Presley playing um, music. I was like, oh, you know, that sounds I do, fun. I have funny. I always remember when I was younger. I always used to watch the um, the Elvis movies. Did you ever watch the Elvis movies? Never. <laughs> he had Mate, a whole, could have been, been one of those. He had the whole career. Like after he got back from like, so I think he went to Korea. Was it? I think he served in Korea. Like he he's had the. Like, I don't know the, his history that well, to be honest. But we. We st- I know he was just starting like he became really popular mm. and then he went and did military service which will probably ring with you yeah. <laughs> um, and then he sort of came back and then he embarked on like this movie career and he's got like yeah I know he had a big so movie many movies man and they're all so bad are they like, bad oh they're oh, so bad I thought you were going to say oh they're so good no <laughs> but, they're terrible oh, like it's almost like um is this in his later year, later years? Like no, this is no, this is like before he got big and fat. Like this is, okay. I mean, I'm I'm just speaking off the top of my head. But he was all mm-hmm. like in the movies that I watched. He was young and good looking. So I think basically when he, I think I when can he relate came, to that as well. By the way, oh yeah, well you're a, 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 a creature of beauty, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that's sort of that's where he was. He, I think when he came back from war service, he he sort of. Mm-hmm. He started music again and then he signed up for like this ridiculous deal where he had to do like 20 movies oh, wow. or something. You know, like back in like the 50s and the 60s, it wasn't, you know, you don't, you don't have your own um, agency. You sort of sign up. Because yeah, he, he, he had the colonel or something, wasn't it? He was like his relentless manager who just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. Yeah, there's some story about that. Yeah, where more money, more money. Yeah, it's amazing, man. So it, look up just if, if you want to go down a wormhole. I will. Look for up. sure yeah yeah now that you've mentioned it I'm gonna definitely oh. check it out and there's all he's always like a bad boy or like a, or a surfer or someone and there's there's always like mm. a big musical number like every well every that was movie. his image as well wasn't it like he was kind of like this rebel in the music well, well like they they banned him from the waist down <laughs> <laughs> on some of the uh, on some of the early shows they banned him on the waist from the waist down because it was it was sending um, like the girls crazy yeah, I've heard, I've seen an interview of his where the interviewer asks him, like, don't you think your dancing's very provocative? And he says, like, there's nothing I can do. It's just how, you know, the music makes me move. I can't control it or something like that. But yeah, it yeah, makes sense. I think it was at the, was it the Ed Sullivan show, maybe? They only showed him from the waist up because the censor said you can't show his groin because the oh way he moves God. his groin makes women ovulate, so... That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, that been, but that's the thing. Like, you look at it now, and it's very safe and tame. And like, but back mm. then, that was like basically too much. Yeah. Well, basically, it was like Nicki Minaj. You know, it was the same kind of deal. Like, yeah, it was I just, guess so. Yeah. He was as well known for his music ability as he was for his sexuality, which was mm. really intriguing to me. You know, when you when you think about like when I when I was young, you know, you always think about Fat Elvis. Yeah, that, I mean, that. I guess that's the last thing you remember of him, don't you? And there's so much, so many videos of him uh, in that stage of his life. But with his with his uh, rhinestone jumpsuits and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing it back, man. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say? Like, you've obviously got some very eclectic tastes. I know this. This is a question that every musician is asked. But what would you say is sort of your biggest influences? Uh, well, it depends. Are we talking about guitar playing, or are we talking about songwriting? Uh, because well, let's, I think it, let's talk about different. let's talk about guitar playing first. Okay. Well, hands down, you've already interviewed him. Uh, my cousin George, George yes. Marius. 
Yeah. He's definitely been a huge influence um, just because we, we grew up playing guitar together. Uh, he mentioned in his interview about how he spent a whole summer before I left for the States practicing endless hours, uh, you know, from the moment we woke up till till nighttime. And he, he basically taught me my first things on the electric guitar. I, I, I studied classical guitar before that, so I had some technique and knowledge from, you know, finger picking and all that stuff. But when it came to the more rock elements and more technical stuff, he definitely started me off on that journey and that path. So George, I would say he was number one yeah. <laughs> there and still is, I think, you know, he's... I've oh, seen him play. Amazing player, man. Just yeah. world, world class. It's, it's good to have that as a cousin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Free, <laughs> free lessons. It's <laughs> amazing. Get free lessons from a world class guitar player. That's, Why uh, not? Yeah. Tick. And, uh, <laughs> and what are some other players that come to mind? Some, you know, some well, possibly more well known sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of transitioned. I definitely started off with the whole. Uh, you know, G3 craze with uh, Satriani, Ingve Mamstein, uh, Steve Vai. Eric Johnson is a huge favorite of mine. Um, I, I played one of his pieces for my audition at Berkeley, The Eclipse of Dover, and it's probably yep. the most amount of hours I've spent practicing a piece. Uh, just, it's such a great composition. So definitely that those players. Uh, there's players like Eric Gales that I really like. Yes, I got into more of the blue stuff like uh, Joe Bonamassa, um, Jack Pearson, who's a very underrated session musician in Nashville. Yeah, I, I don't think many people know about him, but he's mm. an amazing jazz fun. Like he he can play anything, and um, he's an incredible player. Uh, so I think yeah, in terms of guitar, it would be. Yeah, I think it started off with the Vi Satriani. They played a huge influence. And then obviously the classics like Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, those people, are, you know, are, just the playing is amazing. Uh, so I think, yeah, it started off more of like the rock, heavy rock stuff, and then slowly transitioned into the more bluesy, uh, neo-soul stuff as well. Yeah, which, cool. Which uh, I really enjoy. And what about, uh, what about songwriting stuff? Songwriting, I think, you know, like we, we grew up with uh, listening to a lot of Paul Simon, Tina Turner, Jackson 5. Uh, so I think a lot of the influence in my song came from there. Like even if I don't realize it, like just because we grew up with stuff like ABBA, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so I really like, we started off with that. And I think later on it was more kind of listening to contemporary people. And um, and then also people like Steve... Um, uh, I was going to say Steve Vai, uh, but Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Uh, there's an amazing singer-songwriter that I really enjoy, and uh, I've been listening to him for quite quite a bit lately. Called Alan Stone. He's, oh yeah. Um, probably around. I think he might be my, around my age. Alan Stone's amazing, man. He's incredible, man, and his his songwriting is fun. Um, his I've seen him live three times now. I saw him twice in Boston and once in uh, London. And each time, it just the, his showmanship is incredible. Uh, so he's definitely an inspiration with his songwriting and his uh, stage performance. And then James Bay is another guy. I, I really like his first uh, Chaos on the Calm. That that entire I can listen to that record beginning to end. Like That's all awesome. of that is really good. And his songwriting is exquisite as well. Actually, um, Alan Alan Stone is quite big in Australia. Yeah, he's huge. Well, his uh, his wife is Australian. Mm. 
So the, maybe that's why. Like, I don't know what she's. I don't know if she's well known in Australia, but I know she's a graphic designer from. Not stalking him, but uh, <laughs> <you> know, like <laughs> no, but I know he's got some connections with Australia as well. Yeah, um, he pl- he plays there all the time. And it, yeah, I've never seen him, but like a oh, you should if you get an opportunity to, you should definitely try and get to uh, one of his live shows. Well, live shows, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you talk about you you grew up in Greece, mm-hmm. um. And so was your family supportive of, of the music or was it more like you did it in spite of or with the encouragement of? Or? No, hugely supportive, I would say, you know, even to this day. Um, my mum, obviously, you know, you, you always have that one parent who's kind of skeptical, not skeptical, but just worries about you and says, you know, maybe you should look into having a plan B uh, in music as well and see if you can do, like, I'm, I, I really enjoy technology, like computers, I can pick up stuff quite quickly. So she was saying, oh, you're good at that. So maybe you could do something with computers. Um, my dad was the extreme opposite. He was like, you want to do music? Go for it. You only live once, you know. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm not, I wasn't just doing it as a hobby. I was like quite serious about it. You know, I, I wanted to get into a good school and I auditioned for Berkeley. So I think that kind of showed him that I was quite serious about what I wanted to, you know, that I really wanted to do music in some shape or form. Um, so, no, hugely supportive. Yeah, I never had any, you know, why are you doing this or you shouldn't, you're not going to amount to anything. You know, like I've heard some crazy stories of, <laughs> of people not having supportive parents. So, no, I'm, I would say like hugely supportive. That's awesome. So, hmm. you, you said you did classical guitar. Mm-hmm. What, what age did you, what age did you do that until when? Um, must have been like nine to 13, 14. So, right. so it's a fair yeah, while. Few, yeah, uh, maybe five years or so, something like that. And that, that and, gave uh, you good grounding in sort of technique and music theory and stuff like that. Not music theory. I was one of those people that you know they were they one of those kids that you know the, my parents were saying, oh, you should do music theory as well. I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to play. So I didn't I didn't uh, get into music theory until later in in life, but. Um, classical piece like getting the dexterity on the, in the fingers and learning different techniques that was uh, I don't know if I could still do I can I, something some of it has still stayed with me uh, on electric guitar as well but for the most you know I was practicing quite a bit of classical classical pieces and whatnot. it works well it works well for the hybrid picking definitely definitely yeah 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 so when you when you sort of when you were finishing high school mm-hmm. you, you where did you go from there um, so we, as I mentioned before, we lived in the States for two years. So I, I did, um, All right. So you, you were in Greece, in Greece, then around in two, I forget when it was, like I've mi- mi- mixed up my years, but I, I, I did the two years of, I don't know what you would call it, like high school, like la- last three years of high school, the first two years I did in the States. And in between those two years, um, I was fortunate enough to go do a summer program at Berkeley, so for a week. Uh, and I had never heard of the school before. I wasn't really sure whether I was going to do music uh, later on. And I did that one week there and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is the type yeah. of people I want to be around. Uh, so I had a very strong idea of what I was going to do after after school. And I knew that I wanted to go study music. George was already studying music, so... He was kind of also helping me out with the guitar stuff. 
Um, so yeah, after high school, I graduated, spent the summer in Greece, and then September of 2009, I was off to Boston, America. 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 And so how was that, man? Talk us, talk us through your experience at Berkeley. Uh, if I could do it again, I would do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, really? if I had the money to do it again, definitely. Probably one of the best experiences. You know they, how they say like uh, college is the best experience of your life? It definitely was for me. It was, uh, you know, it opened my mind to a lot of things. Uh, obviously coming from Greece, and I think George talked about this as well, like you, because there's not that many people that take music as seriously as us, I left Greece thinking, oh, I'm going to be, you know, one of the best players there. You know, I've practiced so much. And I just remember the first day, the first night uh, staying in dorms and we had um, jam, like jam rooms in the basement of the dorms. And I just remember showing up all confident and leaving with like <laughs> my tail between my my legs. Because the, the amount of, the, the level there is ridiculous. The, yeah. you know, some students, I was wondering, what are you doing here? Like, why, what what else is there for you to learn? Wow. Uh, but it was, you know, I, was, I thought people would be very uh, competitive and it was the exact opposite. Everybody was very friendly, willing to share knowledge. Uh, we would spend like hours jamming, uh, practicing with other people. So the environment was probably the best environment to be in, in order to learn new stuff and actually just have practicing on repeat uh, the material. Yeah. Um, but I think one of my favorite things there was because I was interested in music production as well. And I was, you know, I was debating what major to do. So I did the performance major, so guitar performance. But because I loved music production so much, I basically tried to get on, on as many music production projects I could, just so I could watch people work and say like, okay, what does that do? What does that do? Um, so it was just, you know, a source of knowledge really. Like even no matter what major you were doing, you could learn about anything, film scoring, music production, um, songwriting, yeah, just a really good place to be. Wow! And so, and so, how old were you then? Uh, eighteen. Eighteen. Wow. I left left home at eighteen. Uh, was a four year program, so I I think I finished around 22, 20, So you you were at Berkeley for four years. Four years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was fun, man. A great place to be. You're right next to New York because it was only the Boston. Um, college then they didn't have valencia or um the new york buildings at that time so you could go to new york check out some jazz gigs uh, go check out some music such great you know I, as i said if i could do it again i'd redo everything like all of it that's amazing yeah i i uh, i was i've only been to america the one time but uh it's a very interesting country it is. I remember the first time it was like culture shock. You know, it was. It's the first time I've experienced because you don't you don't get exposed to like you watch movies. You kind of get an idea of what it. You you think you have an idea of what it's all about. And I think when we first moved the first time, it was um, during the Bush administration. So America's image in Greece was not the best. So you already had this kind of negative mindset of where you were going and, you know, like, oh, Americans and everybody has this preconception that, you know, some people are not smart there or they're, you know, they start <laughs> wars and whatnot. And you just arrive there and it's like, oh, it's just like any other place. But there is something different that I, I don't know how to explain. You have to, you have to live through it. 
um, and going to school there as well is just like, you know, I don't know how people do it. You know, it's huge. So many people from different cultures. Um, I remember arriving there in school and it was like, you know, like how when you go, when somebody new comes to your school, everybody introduce, introduces themselves, you know, this is a new student. You arrive in America, you go to a new school, another foreign kid. <laughs> You know, it's it's nothing to them. Yeah, there was there was no introduction, no nothing. I was kind of like, "Hello, I'm new here." You know, nobody. Yeah, just went over their heads. But it's just how the country is. You know, it's wow. And that that was for high school. High school, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And so, we, you you left you left Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And what actual what actual qualifications did you have then? I got uh, well. You mean in terms of degree from Berkeley? Yeah. So I had my, my degree is, uh, I've got a bachelor's degree in guitar performance, which basically means that I've had X amount of hours of one-on-one lessons. I've done uh, multiple ensembles and whatnot, but um, and I've also done songwriting courses and whatnot during my stay there. But the primary focus was on guitar performance, how to perform pieces, learning about technique, learning about theory, uh, fretboard knowledge and all that stuff. So that's my that's my qualifications in terms of what I got from uh, from Berkeley. And what's the, what's the most important thing you learned when you were there? Oh, that's a difficult one. Most important thing that I learned while I was there or after. No, what what what's your what's your most important takeaway from that like that from that course? Um. I think the most it's difficult one of, one of the things that definitely stuck with me and I I definitely kept with me after college was like play with people just play as much as you can with people that are better than you so yep. get out of your comfort zone play with you know you want to have that sense of like oh I'm not good not not in a negative way I'm not good enough but like realize that oh there's so much more to learn and you just keep on learning so I think that's something that I definitely uh found very important for during my stay there like because I, I had that mindset before going there that oh I'm going to be one of the best players or I'm at a very good level and then realizing that nope you know there's so much more to learn and always room for improvement so I think that's the key thing I took away from I think from that's Berkeley. a I think that's a really valuable lesson I always know that when I was well still even to this day if I meet a guitarist and I'm like How, what what I just want to be I want to be around them like a puppy yeah I, Show me, just show absorb, me, show me absorb as much information. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because these that that education system is probably one of the unless you meet you know really nice people. It's mm-hmm. that education is one of the times where the sharing of knowledge is like really encouraged because a lot of times you meet really good guitar players and they sort of look at and I mean it's a little bit transactional. Like guitar players say, "Well, who's this guy? What what can you mm. give me?" You know, I guess it's that's across the board with music but it's like but I think mostly in guitar in the guitar community there there's quite a bit of uh, ego competitiveness yeah ego definitely I mean the joke is you know how many guitarists does it take to change a light bulb and it's three one to change it and the other two to say I could do that better you yeah know, like, oh, absolutely that's just how <laughs> we are as a guitarist but um, no I think yeah I think at the end of the day it's um, who you surround yourself with as you said you know if you, you're definitely going to find people that are a bit precious about something that makes them unique less less willing to share and I think there's other people that are just like you know 
here it is. This is how I do it, you know, exchange of ideas and whatnot. So I think it really depends on who you get, who you surround yeah. yourself with. I mean, I know I used to be like that when I was younger. I was like, no, it's mm-hmm. still my licks, man. It's taking me yeah, ages yeah, to work yeah, out these licks. <laughs> this is mine. These are my licks, man. <laughs> this, this, this is what makes me a star, man. And then it's like, after a while, you realize, oh, it's not. It's really not that important. No, no. I, w- I would say to anybody, if you want to steal my licks, I'm flattered. It's yeah. great. But so when, when, when did you have that change? Like, when did you, th- when did you change from like, these are mine and to like, okay, well, let me share this with the world? I think it was uh, it wasn't that long actually. It was after I discovered that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Cuz I did I had much of the same sort of experience. I grew up in mm-hmm. a little little country town where I was, you know, there was there was me and one other guy that could play fast. Nice. And it it was like and when I was when I was the first couple of years, that's all I did was just practice speed. That was it. All I mm-hmm. wanted to be was the fastest guitar player on the planet. That was my singular goal. I used to practice five hours a day, just nice fast. Didn't matter what it sounded like; it just had to be fast. Speed. And then, yeah, just speed, man. <laughs> it was just the. Uh, I just I, I, I was ta- I think I was talking to George about this actually, when I got the Paul Gilbert, like the little. Oh yeah, LP. It was the an VHS, act- an actual. Yeah, he's oh. like his speed is an actual vinyl. Okay. On a guitar player magazine from like mm. 1990, maybe 90, 91. 99. And I was in high school and I got this magazine from the news agent and it took, it like I ordered it, I got it and I played that and I was just like, oh, I don't even plan for like a year at the time. And then it was just like, this is all uh, I want to do all the time forever now. Yeah. And I was I first of all I did it wrong because I was so impatient to get faster. I was like, ah, I don't worry about that that that, that cross picking thing. Are you self taught or did you take lessons? Sorry? Are you self taught or did you did you were you taking lessons at the moment at that time? Com- completely self taught. So I okay. I picked up the guitar and I had a friend, Andrew Farnham, mm. who is um still a friend of mine and he was he'd been playing for about a year longer than me, so he gave me some sort of like I think he showed me like the Penta, like okay. the Penta box and then a few other ex- exercises. And then I was just like, I just felt, you know, it, it's not about me, but I just, I just fell in love with the guitar and mm. I just practiced for hours and hours and hours yeah, a day. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I'm, except for like, I didn't even, I didn't even fit, I didn't even do high, uh, high school music. Okay. So, yeah. The last two years, because I moved to this little country town, the, the music, I walked mm. into the music, like the music wing, and it was just like, there was two acoustic guitars and one keyboard for the whole school. Oh, and I was just like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not going to do not, this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I, and I just taught myself for years. And I've taken That's lessons awesome. over the years. Mm. Like I took, um, I took gypsy jazz lessons from like oh, one of nice. Australia's yeah. best manouche players. And I took um, jazz lessons from... Jim Kelly, he's one of the best um, yeah. guitar players in the world. Mm. You know, I've just sort of taken lessons here, here and there, wherever I need them. But the rest, like I just, mini clinics. No, no, like private lessons. Yeah, li- oh, okay, little, nice. Yeah, so you go in like the Manouche stuff was really good because I fell in love with Gypsy Jazz for a long period. Mm. Or the um, minor swing and yeah, and just just the way they played, like the the the, the pick attack. Oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. Did did you get one of those jazz guitars as well? No, the gypsy I, jazz. I didn't. I didn't get that far into it. Oh okay. <laughs> but um, the 
just like the, the like the lifting of the hand yeah, up the from technique. the from the bridge and the way you think about it because it's all inspired by Django. So it's mm-hmm. like a lot of two note per string stuff or one note per string stuff. And yeah, I just I love that shit, man. And yeah, yeah it's you, so good. It's fun. Yeah, I got I got like three or four lessons from a guy called Ewan McKenzie. Um, he's 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 dead now, um, but he um, he was one of Australia's best hmm. like gypsy jazz guys. So oh, yeah, nice. I mean, and I when I moved from Mount Isa to Brisbane, which is like the capital hmm. city, and I played in some bands. The fir- actually the first time I realised I wasn't as good as I thought I was, as I went to the big day out and I saw a band called Pangaea. Okay, and they're an Australian band. Um, but the guitarist was a guy called um, Jim Sinclair. Nice. And I ended up meeting up with him years later and getting some lessons and stuff. But he, I was like, and I thought they were from Australia. I'm oh, no, sorry, from America, but they were Australians. And he was just absolutely On fire. just, but not just blazing speed. It was all these like really exo- yeah, exotic scales, no mm. choice. Like, and his rhythm playing was ridiculous. Oh, um, nice, and so I just went, Oh man, I think I was like maybe sixteen or seventeen, and I realized, oh, you know, I'm going to have to work really hard. <laughs> it's one of those plays that you watch and you you just want to go home and start practicing. Oh yeah, that's how I felt about Joe Bonamassa. As yeah. soon as I heard him for the first time and I watched his document, I, I kind of went deep in, into his uh, discography and his, the documentaries that had come out about him. I was like, oh man, I need, I need to, I need to practice more. I need to <laughs> get my chops up. But yeah, it's, it's amazing when you find somebody like that. Oh, it's, it's so inspiring, and mm-hmm. I, you know, and and it, and the longer you live, the more you get inspired by players. Like I was, I was just watching a thing last night with from um, Alex Hutchings. Yes. And I have real, I really got into Alex Hutchings like maybe five or six years ago, mm. and then I sort of got inspired by other people and then I was watching something last night and I was like holy shit like this guy has gotten like was already world class mm-hmm. but has gotten better like he's amazing yeah I remember oh. watching his early I think it was it must have been Jam Track Central but yep. like the early days of Jam Track Central and yeah, I think he was one of the first people doing videos for them yeah yep. along with Guthrie probably Guthrie Guthrie and Tom I think Tom Quayle as well and, he, oh yeah probably but he, he, I remember watching him and I was being like, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's good. And then watching, I think the last, I haven't watched him in a while, but I watched his JTC um, Jam of the Month or whatever, you know, that um, the backing track stuff. And he, he played the song. I was like, how does he come up with the, these ideas, these melodic ideas? It's just ridiculous how good his phrasing is. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. He's doing mm. a thing where he goes through guitar gods and is analyzing Oh, you're analyzing the playing of each. Uh, and is that he, on YouTube? Where is that? Yeah, it's just on YouTube. Just look YouTube, him up. I, 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 I shared. I shared something recently. Um, but he did Sean Lane. Oh man! And it's like that was a guy when I first heard Sean Lane. I thought this can't be real. Like it can't be real. He's like a piano player, isn't he? Yeah. Like that's his kind of main influence on on his playing. Yeah. But just the the note choice and like at the time I wasn't really into chromaticisms that much. Like. Mm. And, a lot of his, you know, diminished chromatic, like his movements and stuff like that. I was like, you know, when you hear something and it's so outside of your It's not experience, what you used to listen to, yeah. yeah. It just blows your mind. Like you go, I don't understand. This is from another planet. It's like the first time I ever heard Ingwe. It was like, what the 
freaking hell is this? <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> what are you That's doing? how I feel when I jam with George, by the way. Like, whenever yeah. we sit down to jam, I'm like, he's doing like a nice fun, uh, we'll, we'll do some nice fun pentatonic uh, bluesy stuff. And then he'll just throw something that it's like, I can't even start to comprehend like what <laughs> he showed me. I remember the last time we jammed before I left for uh, the UK for the first time. Uh, we were do- we were doing jam and he does this like chromatic arpeggio thing. I was like, okay, well, I stopped him right there. I was like, can you tell me what, what you're doing there? And he breaks it down. I, I I still couldn't understand. I just stole it as a lick. I just said, okay, I'm just stealing this as a lick and then I'll try and use it, find a way to use it. I just couldn't understand how he the timing and the placement of it. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, but he's, he's got such a beautiful um, interpretation of intervals and the mm. way he uses the intervallic space within a chord, like within a structure. Yeah. It's just so left of center. Mm. It just, it catch any, it was funny when I was chatting to him, he was talking about, you know, I'm not good at this and I'm not good at that. And I'm like, yeah, man, whatever. But he'll, he'll spend a week on it and he'll be like, yeah. I remember like my favorite story with George's, I remember I was le- taking uh, classical guitar lessons and George was ex- had just expressed the want to start electric guitar lessons and his parent had bought him his first Epiphone electric guitar with a nice Epiphone uh, amplifier and he was showing me like a simple like uh, da 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 what what is that uh, um, Inspector Gadget or something like that oh yeah just Inspector, the riff da, from da, da, that da, da, Inspector Gadget something like that yeah and then. A couple of months go by and I, 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 we meet up again in his hometown and he says, oh, check this out. And he puts uh, Zach Wilde's solo on um, no more tears? Mr. Cr- no, Mr. Crawley. Oh, Mr. Crawley. Uh, yeah, he yeah. said, like, check this out. But he didn't play the Zach, Wi- Zach Wilde uh, solo. He created his own own solo. And it was like this ridiculous shreddy. Th- like, two months have gone by. <laughs> How? How did this happen? He's just one of those type of guys, like, if he sets his mind to something, he's like, yeah, this is happening, you know, I'm gonna, he'll, he'll, he's just got a good grasp of the guitar and how to do things, and it's and annoying. See that, that's so, that's so inspiring, when you, when you, yeah. when you run across people like that, and they're also like, yeah, no, I just, you know, I work really hard at this, and you know, mm. he, you know, he doesn't consider himself to be particularly talented or anything, he's just into it, just really enjoys it. Yeah, he, he, I, I think, I mean, that's probably true, like, he doesn't, I don't think he thinks of the guitar. Maybe not. Maybe in the early days he was quite, you know, he was quite adamant. You know, he wanted to be the best player. He he had a strict practice regimen. He was really good at that. But I think as the years went by, he just, you know, I think he reached the point where he was very happy with his playing, and he was just focusing on the fun of it and fo- focusing on, you know, being more creative rather than focusing too much on the technique. So I think. That's that's a good example. I, mean, you know, I think you spent the early days, spent yeah. put the amount of time that you need to in order to reach a point where you're happy, and then just also make sure you focus on enjoying what you're doing instead of being like, oh, I need to be able to play at 200 BPM and 16th notes or something like that. Well, I've been listening. I don't know if you listen at all to the Riff Hard podcast. No, there's a podcast called Riff Hard, and it's mm. it's a really good. Um, there's one of the guys is from Monuments Brownie from Monuments is like a okay. a new prog sort of metal band well they're not mm. new actually they're sort of a bit like Periphery okay um, yeah but that, their whole ethos like that is you know if the time to do that like massive amounts of practice is when you're a teenager when you're mm-hmm. young because by the time you get to about 25 your sort of your brain start well, well it's you know it's just neurology so 
when I think it also has like, to do with what style of music you want to be doing as well, isn't it? Like you, if you're into heavy metal, you you want to be technical. Um, I had this one teacher, David Tronzo. He's an amazing slide guitar teacher at Berkeley, and he basically said, you know, if you want to be a pop, you know, a, a guitarist for a pop singer, or be an, a pop artist yourself, just learn your triads. Just learn your triads all over the... He said, that's the only thing you'll ever need. There's nothing else you'll ever need in, in order to be a pop artist. And he was right. You know, like, I've I've kind of taken that to heart. And, you know, I can... You know, if you play in a function band, you're literally, as a guitarist, as a rhythm guitarist, you're just playing the the triads all over the neck. So, you know, it just focus on the stuff that will be handy. And yeah, not- I, think, I think it more goes to, like, the idea that if you wish to if you sort of wish to have any facility or mastery of anything. Mm. And I, I think that goes to like, cause I know you like, you know, when you think about those, like the shredder guitarists, like, mm. you know, your, your classic guys, you know, it's all, you know, it's Steve, I, I, I used to do Steve Vai's 10 hour workout and stuff like that. You know, like oh, it's, yeah. th- those guys have incredible facility, but also incredible musicality. Mm. So that idea that when you, you've got to, in your teens is, is where you've got to suck all that like like a sponge and get that facility because that facility, if if that's your goal, but even like I would argue like like pop guys and, you know, even like, you know, like maybe quote unquote less um, technical. show, less technical stuff like mm. blues players and stuff like mm. that. There's a lot of just straight out time on the instrument like mm, yeah, of you course. know, just facility of the hand strength and how you move mm. your hand and whatnot. The touch, the f- phrasing of things. Yeah, of course. And when yeah, you when you're young, you've got to jam that stuff into yourself the whole time because, you know, as I said, neurologically speaking, after about twenty five, mm. your brain becomes a lot less able to learn. Yeah, to absorb information. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And then it's just, and as you said, then it's just an idea of then taking those that facility and then applying what you want to do mm. and interpreting it in the way you feel you should. Definitely. I think it's also uh, in terms, I don't know if you feel the same way, but and I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but like growing up in Greece, for example, uh, and going then to, off to, to Berkeley, it's, we don't grow up with jazz music. So we, we have no, like, I mean, some people may do, but like in my household, in, in the house that I grew up in, we didn't have uh, exposure to jazz. I like all this jazz phrasing and vocabulary. And so we, when I got to college, I was like, this is completely new. And there were these kids playing these jazz lines and it was like second nature to them. So I think it's also, you need to make sure that even as a parent or for example, if you, if you see that you're your kid is musically inclined, expose them to that style of music just so they can grow up with the, uh, being familiar with the sound. Because I, I found that very difficult learning jazz. Like these kids were getting it like like it was nothing. And for me, it was like, oh, what? I've never heard this sound before. Yeah. Like what is, what is this I'm trying yeah, to learn? Yeah, I think, I mean, Australia is very much, um, I mean, the modern Australian culture is very anti-culture at all. Like, there's no, mm. you know, we've had we've had 25 years of hard right conservative governments, and they've stripped the funding from everything that's not oh, that's sports, not sports or mining. So it's like there's been an active campaign by the right wing in in Australia for tw- for a quarter mm. of a century to get rid of culture because culture culture breeds. You know, if you've got culture, people are 
learning, if people are learning, they're asking questions. If they're asking questions, they're not doing as they're told really? and work, working in the mines. Oh, so wow. it's, there's a reason I don't live there anymore. Like mm. it's, you decided to leave. Well, I mean, you know, it was, it, there was multiple reasons for it, but one mm. of the, one of the big reasons is I just didn't, didn't I've played all over the world mm. and while I have a lot of amazing friends in the Brisbane where I was and the Australian music scene and I've had some great gigs in Australia, the worst crowds in the world I've ever played to are in Australia. Really? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, by far and away. Because I'm, I'm surprised to hear that because like Australian people and New Zealanders are quite, you know, they're quite up. Anybody I've learned, uh, learned uh, anybody I've met from Australia are so upbeat. They're so, you know, they've got good auras, good energy. I'm quite surprised to hear, you know, like uh, there would be a difficult audience to play for. You know? Well, I mean, I'm, ge- you know, I'm generalizing, of course, but I'm also mm. talking about your general lot of median, median level okay, setting. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like not music fans, just your general populace. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if you go to if you go to a bar or club, or you know, any place where people are playing music, if you play really w- good music, people will come up and say to you, "That was really good. You are really good. That I had right. a nice time." In Australia. That's almost gone completely. People mm. won't. People won't talk to you that way. People will say, um, "Why didn't you play the song right?" Oh, it's just the the mindset you recognise it. The context like, is gone. People, mm. people, the musical education has been defunded over the years. The, the grants, the grants, and everything around culture and the arts have been defunded. Even the sciences. Mm. If all my friends that work in the sciences, they're all le- everyone's left because. They just don't. They don't feel it's a place to be. Wow. There's no. There's no context for it. The, the context is gone for interfacing mm. with the arts and culture. I mean. It, I mean. You know. I am once again. I'm generalizing, and they're like some of the best musicians I've ever worked with are from Australia mm. and still are playing and working in Australia because, you know, for whatever reason they don't. You know, their goals yeah. are different. Their their life experience is different. And this mm. is all just my. My experience. No, I think uh, I think me and George. I don't want to speak for George, but I think I have a similar relationship with Greece in terms of when it comes, especially to music. It's not that they're not uh, they don't support the arts, but it's not one of those countries where I feel like in the states, if you say, or even in the UK, I want to try and be a musician, they're a bit more accepting. It's not the the idea of being a musician is not as um, it's not like running away and joining the circus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Um, but, I mean, we, at the same time, Greece does have a lot of amazing Greek music. There's some amazing Greek guitar players coming out of Greece. Amazing guitar players. They have, like, really good, um, you know, th- there's a whole uh, traditional dancing that goes along with music. There. So, in that sense, they've, they, they're quite strong there. But when it comes to more contemporary sounds... Or like, if you wanted to be a, an English sing, English speaking singer in Greece, it, you know, there's only a certain level you can reach. And I think uh, they don't really support, you know, self like the self-employed or being uh, an artist and not as well. As, I think in the UK, you you can be a musician, you yes. can work as a musician, be self-employed, and have the support from the government and be in terms of tax and all that stuff. Greece is not there yet. They're still trying to figure out. And I think that's kind of what put me off living in Greece. I think I just, you know, I, I you hit a plateau at, at some point just because of the way things are. And whereas here, I think you're more, there's more space to flourish. There's more space to develop. And also, you know, it's one of, one of the musical centers in, 
in the world as well. And oh, yeah. It's quite, quite a bit of music. Well, I think it's, I think it's the cultural context, isn't it? And like, mm-hmm. whenever I start talking about Australia like that, I get like a vibe that if anybody who's Australian is listening to us is going to get really, you know, upset Offended, with me. Offended, yeah. But it's like, mm-hmm. I, I love Australia and I've, you know, mm. or, you know, I grew up there. Most of my life I've spent in the country and, you know, and as I said, like some of the best musicians I've ever worked with come out of there. I just think the mm-hmm. cultural context has been lost. Because I, I also remember they changed the law when it came to gambling in the country about 20 years ago, 25 oh, years wow. ago. And so, I don't know what it's like in Greece, but you know how in, in London, if you want to play poker machines or gamble, you have to go outside of a pub into a venue to do it? Yeah, like there's a, like one of the, I, I, lad, I know the colour of the billboard. A or yeah. something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Australia, that's all in the, in the pub. Oh, so it's all in one place. And the gambling machines are all in the pubs. So mm. about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the government decided to incorporate, like to make it legal to have gambling and poker machines in the pubs. And overnight, like within a year, it destroyed the touring music scene in the country. Like it was just all gone. I used to, when I was growing up in the bush, bush, like the country, mm. used to have circuit bands and they would just spend the whole year traveling up and down the East Coast, going into country towns. And then, you know, you could live, a, you know, not a great life, but a pretty yeah, reasonably, yeah. you know. Yeah, you can make a living off of it, yeah. Yeah. And within it, within a couple of years of that changing, that was all gone. And that's why, where- why do you, so what, what was the, what was the issue that people weren't paying attention to? There, there was no room for music, live music in pubs or because people weren't paying attention or- I'll give you the example. So when I was a surf lifesaver um, in my early 20s, I used to mm. go to this particular surf club and used to train and everything down there. And it was, oh, you know, nice. good surf club, but not that great. They put, mm. I think they put three poker machines in. And within like a year, they'd been able to do up the whole club just off the back oh. of three poker machines. So I see what you mean. What also happens is the government makes money off that. The government makes money off gambling and, the, and mm. then the venues make money off it as well. So basically, why would you pay? Why would you invest in, in music, in if music you can and arts and culture ways. if you can just put a machine in the corner and that'll fund your, you know, fund wow. your extensions? It's just, it's just economics. And, you know, in the end, I, I personally, mm. like in, in, in the 70s and the early 80s in Australia, like some of the best bands, like, you know, you probably haven't heard them, but like Cold Chisel and Ice House and mm. all these bands like Midnight Oil, they came up because there was such a vibrant music scene and such a culture. Yeah. And that's just all gone. So the bands you see come out now, like mm. Tame Impala and bands like that, 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 that whole thing has just disappeared. So the context for appreciating live music is now basically big electronic music festivals and like local pubs with a soloist stuck in the corner underneath the TV right. to play for, to try to play while the football's playing. Yeah, you get that here as well a, a little bit, depending on where you play. Yeah, but, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, mm. th- it's not like I'm talking. That's the capital city music scene. That now. is it. Yeah, that's oh. it. So no bueno, no bueno, which is a shame. No bueno. and, you know, it, yeah, it, it is. Of course, it broke my heart a little bit. But um, mm. we're not. Once again, we're not talking about. We're not talking about me. We're talking it's about It's interesting, though. It's interesting. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's funny. It's funny when you talk to people from different like cultures, mm. how much sometimes those sort of the cultural things go across borders. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I mean, I can relate to uh, not having proper venues to play 
player and know the whole you know the whole open mic night scene here which i mean it's great to some extent um considering it's you know it's not great for the artist because they're not making money but um i mean you don't find that in greece so there's not much room for you you either become a street performer or hope to play some of the not so great venues in greece and hope you have a, a, a big enough following to fill it up so you know i can relate to that there's not much room to perform or encourage performing and um for new art like metal scene maybe but in terms of pop or singer songwriter stuff not much yeah the metal the metal scene's always there though it's always i mean it's a strong strong industry it's it's small but they've managed to keep it going uh for quite a while which is inspiring um mm. so when you finish berkeley yeah walk us through what happened next so graduating from berkeley i i had a band during my last year of college uh we were called the hypnopompics and uh we were we wrote we recorded uh, two songs and the idea was that um keenan who was the bass player in the band he he was from nashville so we were going to move down to nashville and uh try and build up the band again there because it was only the two of, we had a full band but only the two of us ended up moving down to nashville so i was in nashville for six months but because of the way things are with uh like as an international student they only permit you to work in your field of study for one year after your graduation so you get a special it's like optional practical training it's what what they call it uh, but in order to th- then once you finish that one year you're allowed to apply for an o2 or o1 visa whatever it's called so you can keep on staying there but you have to fulfill certain requirements and f- during the six months because of the way we were living and where we were living and other stuff that were were going on i hadn't fulfilled the minimum requirements so i thought i better leave now from the states just in case in the future i want to go back I don't have any issues in terms of paperwork and whatnot. Uh, so I ended up moving. So I lived in Nashville for six months, about six months. And then October of 2013, I moved back to Greece for up until Christmas. And then after the new year in 2014, I moved to London. So right. I think it was February 14. Yeah, 2014. So awesome. it, yeah, quite a bit of moving <laughs> during that uh straight after uh, straight after college but it was um it was a good move i do miss nashville it was a really nice place keen you know keen's in a he's a good friend and he, we we wrote a lot of we had a good you know you build memories with your bandmates and we we played gigs and we did you know i did quite a bit of stuff in nashville um but it, it just ended up being one of those decisions where i wasn't quite sure whether that that's where i was supposed to be yeah and uh, so then I eventually moved to London and just hit the ground running with doing session work, playing with as many musicians as I could. I didn't care if it was like paid or free. I just wanted to to just play, play, play as much as I could. And I I eventually met um, a singer called Nadia Ray, who I'm really close friends up until today. And we, I basically just focused on playing with her quite a bit because she was very active. She was playing venues and we did... Um, what's that place BEC arena in Birmingham yeah uh, we played all over London so I did the session work for a little bit and then eventually I decided I wanted to do my own stuff so in 2000 end of 2015 I started writing music myself 
and that's kind of what led me into getting more into the music production learning more about mixing and mastering and uh, eventually led me to where I am today where I've been you know I mixed worked on your tracks I've done stuff for George I've uh, produced uh, other records so around 2015 starting with my own music is kind of what led me into doing more of the music production stuff and uh, yeah it's been been fun <laughs> since then yeah well I mean you've uh, you've definitely you've definitely you're definitely very good at it um, thank you and it's sort of I guess you have to have a certain type of ear as well don't you um I think it, it, when it comes to mixing and mastering, yeah, you need to, I mean, be familiar with the tools that you're using, know how to use them properly. I, it's it's definitely one of those fields that you always learn new stuff. Like you, you'll learn to do one thing one way and then you'll meet somebody who says, oh, by the way, you could do it this way as well. And it's just, you know, mind blowing and you end up just building up a, a bunch of resources and techniques on how to mix music and make it sound, uh, you know, like broadcast ready um, like just like a record um, but yeah it's it's uh, you, you need to have a good ear and when it comes to producing I think it's also your personality I think you need yeah. to understand you need to be able to like look at somebody and say okay they're this type of person this is what their needs are you know be able to kind of adapt to the situation which um, I you know I've, I've been told I've, I'm, I'm decent at doing you know I can kind of pick up vibes I can uh understand what needs to be done what needs to be changed or what needs to be adapted and i actually enjoy that i like that process of helping uh you know whether it's myself uh, either it's myself or somebody else just helping reach a certain goal you know we know yeah. we're all working towards making great music yeah so if somebody is a great songwriter or writes great songs then my role is going to be help them make that reality whether it's through mixing mastering or helping them with the production side of things yeah, I think it's it, you definitely have to engage a different part of your brain because I did a bunch, I did a bunch of session stuff for a couple, well, one producer a lot in Australia, and it was uh, mostly working with female singer songwriters, mm. and it was very much like trying to figure out what they're actually talking about in a musical mm -hmm. context was a lot of it, yeah. like because you know, like a lot if if somebody's bringing a project to a producer. They want help interpreting what they've got in their head. Definitely, or, yeah. You know, to, to transfer what they've got their head in, onto a physical a medium, the MP3 mm -hmm. or whatnot. So a lot of times, it's actually it's as much about relationships as it is as yeah. it is with you know physical whatever it else. Because as you said, like most of the guitar I actually played mm -hmm. was very rudimentary. Like it's not mm. you know you're not you're not chopping out over stuff all the time. You're, you know, but you're you're, re you're reading. It's kind of like reading the room, but with music. Like yeah. you, you're giving. I think you know as I think that's what we miss sometimes in music. Like because we we're living in a generation where everybody can create music nowadays. You know you can be in your bedroom, which for me is is great that you can do that. But you need to have a, a level of I think empathy as well because you know when somebody comes to you with their music and says you know like I've got these pieces of new this songs uh, I need help with them you need to be able to understand like even if you at the beginning you don't get it you need to be able to take a step back and say like okay well this this person's vulnerable for one thing they're giving me their music so they and I've got a skill set that can help them elevate you know help help them elevate yeah. their music to a to a different um, to another level or whatever so I think yeah it is 
I like music in that way because it, it borrows from different aspects of life. You know, you need to have a, some form of understanding of psychology, some form of understanding of, uh, em, you know, empathy, a business. There's, there's just a lot of things uh, that go into making music and you need to be able to balance them all together yeah. and also present them in a way where somebody's not going to go like, oh, you know, you know, I don't want to work with them, but they're too aggressive with it or they don't understand me or something like that. So yeah. I, I, I really like that about music. And I don't think you find that that much in other fields. Like I think other more either office jobs or other fields are a bit more kind of black and mm, don't want to say black and white, but I'm going to use that phrase in terms of how you go about doing things. Whereas with music, you, you're always trying to balance stuff. Absolutely. Not only in terms of creating music, but also the people that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, I always used to love actually like sitting down and actually talking to the artist and going, so what, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's the end goal? Like what's what, what do you actually feel with this song? Because then, it, you know, once you know, then you can actually get your pencil and you can transcribe it in such course, a way that yeah. it's, you know, that you can actually sh- I, I, I used to love that. And, you, you know, you write the chart out and say to the, you know, the bass player, this is it and this is the stabs. And it was, it's lovely. I used to love doing that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't do as much of that anymore because I'm mostly working on my own stuff because I'm an egotist and I just love to hear the sound of my own voice. Um, well, at some point it will come around, you know, you never know. You, you do your own thing for a while, then you find somebody else. To yeah, do, yeah, you yeah. Know, it, it comes, you know, it goes around in circles, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. So when the, uh, let's just talk a little bit about your experience with the COVID situation. Mm. Um, when well, it was basically just over a year ago now, wasn't it? Really? Um, yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, when the when the uh, when the pandemic hit, can you just talk us through a little bit how it affected you and your career? Yeah, I mean, I had a bit of a halt in my music before that. So in twenty April twenty nineteen, I left the UK because uh, as Greek nationals will know, they have to, we have to fulfil a. Um, military service and uh, I when, when if you go off for studies you can get like a temporary exemption for 10 years they give you some room to do a bachelor's degree and master's and whatnot uh, my 10 years were up um, December 20 uh, when was it 2018 so then I had to make a decision whether I I just avoid it altogether and then I'm restricted to the amount of time I can spend in Greece or I just go and be done with it and I reached a point where, you know, after talking about it with uh, my girlfriend, my parents and whatnot, it just made sense to just go off and do eight months. For me, it was eight months of military service. So April, that was May to May 2019 to January of 2020. So for me, there was a huge gap in doing, you know, I was, Ouch. I won't go into detail on what I was doing because it's, it's boring, but um, yeah, like January 2020, 20, I was released and then not long after I thought I, to, in my head it was like I'll stay till May in Greece just because I wanted to spend some time with my girlfriend and it takes some time to kind of get back into the swing of things and then come March it was like yeah this doesn't seem like it's going to happen so I was, uh, I'm going to put stuck in Greece within quotations because a summertime in Greece is quite nice yeah, and I got the opportunity to spend time with my girlfriend, which I, we haven't done just because of the distance and everything that's going on. Uh, so, in terms of music, um, it didn't. I was lucky enough to be back home 
I didn't have to worry about bills or rent, um, which which is I think is a great thing. I think a lot of other musicians living in London did the same thing. They kind of left London, said, okay, well, since the thing things are this way, we'll stay with our parents. Which, if you've got parents that are willing to do that, I mean, that's amazing, and they should. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that was great, not having bills, but I was able to also kind of get back into the swing of teaching. Um, we did your record and I had some other mixing projects, which was great. So it was a good opportunity for me to kind of get back into the swing, kind of decide how I'm going to go about doing music again and uh, find my way in terms of what I wanted to focus on. So in that sense, I was I think I was a little bit privileged, a bit a bit lucky in, in the sense that I was at home. I didn't have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry about uh, paychecks and stuff like that. I kind of could work on my business and kind of figure out how where I'm going to take it. But you know, after a while, you know, you can only spend so much time at home. Uh, things in Greece were not that great in terms of lockdown. Like the we're still in a place where. I mean, it's, what is it now? It's April 2021. They're still in a place where you have to send a text to go anywhere. Like, you have to have a reason to be out. Weekends, we've got 6 p.m. curfews. Wow. Um, so it wasn't, like, some, that was, this is the second lockdown. So this, it's been pretty bad just because we don't have enough space in hospitals. Um, also, it's a bit of a cultural thing. People, you know, we have those people that believe that it's not a thing. COVID's not a thing. Uh, so you're not, you're not alone there, mate. They yeah, they go off and do whatever they want. So it's a bit of uh, yeah. I from on the one hand, I can understand why there's so strict measures. On the other hand, I'm kind of like you know, you can only live that way for a certain amount of time. And it's uh, for me, the fact that I was able to leave around this time and come to the UK where things are a lot better was a kind of a relief, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's good to ha- it's good to have you back, mate. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's fun to be. I'm looking forward to things opening up a bit more, and hopefully getting into doing more music with other people, and uh, it'll be fun. I'll have to catch up for that, some catch up for that guitar jam we've been talking about yes, for a year. Yes, of course. <laughs> Listen, uh, we're going to finish up with a speed round. Okay. Um, I just got to get the questions. I always do this. There we go. Um, so it's just sort of a few questions just to uh, to finish off put a bow on things um so this is if you can you can check your phone or something if you want to check your spotify playlists um, oh i don't use spotify oh good good man um uh okay so who's your favorite artist right now uh, uh it's gonna be jordan rakay he's a new uh, he's what is he I think he's either going to... I forget where, where he's from. I think he's either from New Zealand or South African. One of those two. They're all the same. <laughs> They're all the same. All the same. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's an amazing artist. Uh, he does... Uh, I think he's been doing some Twitch stuff as well, like uh, where he does li- live music production. But he's got this uh, kind of near-soul modern sound to his music, which I really like, and he uses interesting chords and whatnot. So he's definitely somebody I've been looking t- uh, listening to quite a bit lately. Cool. And who? Um, what's your favorite song right now? Favorite song? Uh, okay, I'm gonna check. Oh, I know which one. It's uh, "My Future" by Billie Eilish. Oh, it's cool. not a new song. It's not a new song, but it. I've been listening to it quite a bit. It's uh, excellent. It's got a very interesting production to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of her stuff does, doesn't it? 
Her brother's really good, yeah. Yeah, definitely. her brother's a ninja. What was um, what was the last song you listened to? Oh, uh, probably Billie Eilish. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll, let me just double check. Um, last song I listened to uh, was probably... Uh, this is not much of a speed round, is it? Um, actually, the last song I listened to was Fire by my cousin, George Marius, off his uh, record Daffodil. Nice. So that's Great the last album. song I listened to, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. And what was the last album you listened to from start to finish? Uh, last album uh, oh it was Pink Floyd The Wall that was quite recent actually oh wow yeah yeah why yeah, we were why talking about it on that? stream well we were talking about it on stream and we were talking about um, like this uh, a few weeks ago but we were talking about how you don't have music today where you can listen to a full record beginning to end it's mostly singles and I had the uh, The Wall record on my um on my shelf so I, I pulled it off and showed that and then I was like oh, I need to listen to this again so then I just put it on and listened to it from beginning to end which was nice we haven't even mentioned your uh, your Twitch presence either have we well it's, it's on a hiatus at the moment just because I'm in the currently trying to find a place to live in London so yeah. once once I'm all settled in I'll be back to uh, twitching yeah everybody the, listen to uh, get onto Billy's twitches they're, they're great it's a great stream ah oh, thank you um, and what song do you wish you had written? Um, which song do I wish I had written? Pfft, so many. <laughs> I think uh, there's one song that I really like by James Bay. Move Together. That song. Move off Together. The James Bay, Chaos on the Calm, Move Together. It's a beautiful ballad. Songwriting's amazing. Um the chords just the way he performs it it's really good yeah I wish I'd definitely one of the songs I would wish I'd written move together cool um, and so what's a what's a favourite guilty pleasure artist like some something you like to listen to that other people might think is a bit cheesy or a bit naff Ooh. I don't know um, I don't know is, is ABBA con- considered cheesy oh yeah is it okay? Yeah, I would say Abba. Yeah, definitely Abba. I think that's another band you can listen to the entire record, beginning to end. Just like if, especially the greatest hits, you can listen to it like back to front, can you? So yeah, definitely Abba. I would say. I still, I still do a version of Dancing Queen. I love it, man. I love it. It's a good song. It's well, it's really it is. It it's is un- good. It's unusual, like chords. They well, like for a pop song, it's quite you know. Quite dense. They, yeah, they were quite quite ahead of the time on some tunes. Like in, don't they have some in odd time signatures as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, what amazing. other what other skill do you wish you could have? If I could wave a magic wand and give you any skill, doesn't have to oh, be I in music. It, can be outside of music. Oh yeah, coding for computers. Coding, coding for computers. I wish I had a. Didn't have to spend so much time. If I wanted, if I wanted to learn, I, did, I wish I didn't have to spend so much time reading up about. It. I just I wish I could just because I think that's part of the future as well. Yes, everybody's getting into coding. You it's have gonna to be guess. a useful tool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have to definitely. do a course soon. <laughs> another another thing you got to bloody learn anyway. YouTube, um, there you go. What's that? Just go onto YouTube, start learning from there, and then that's how I learn pretty much everything these days. It's through YouTube. It's a useful resource. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, thanks very much for coming and chatting. Um, oh, thank you. Thank where, you. I appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you? So, definitely my website, uh, billycrab.com. Um, I'm, and I'm on all the social media 
platforms. My handle's like the Billy Crab because I think very highly of myself. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's, yeah. spelled, it's spelled C-R-A-B-B-E, yeah? Yeah, like the crab apple. So C-R-A. Or if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's one of the evil guys, but I'm quite nice. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> That's what you say. Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, once you get back into it on Twitch as well. Yeah. That's the same so, handle? Uh, same handle, yeah, the Billy Crab. Um, yeah, I think I'm mo- mostly, yeah, on most social media, I'm the Billy Crab, except for YouTube, it's just Billy Crab. Or if you do a YouTube search, I'll be there. Excellent, man. All right, well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, it was fun. Hopefully soon we can get together for that guitar jam. Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. Perfect. Sweet, mate. All right, well, have a great one, and, I'll, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.